We're so glad that you've come to this Christmas Eve service. And on behalf of our pastors and elders, we just want to wish you a Merry Christmas. We're in the middle as a church of celebrating Advent, this important season of the year that recognizes the birth of Jesus and also acknowledges that in the story of what God is doing, this is act one of two. Act one is Jesus comes into the world. Act two is he comes back and makes everything right, right? So where we are now is we're waiting between act one and act two. We're waiting from the first coming of Jesus to the second coming of Jesus. And as a church, over the month of December, we've been studying what it means to wait. So briefly, just want to talk about what it means to wait and to wait together. Let me give you an illustration. Remember the last uh, road trip that you and your family took, maybe waiting to get from point A to point B, or maybe even in the context of your holiday travels, you'll play a game in order to help each other wait. You'll look for license plates from various states. How many of you played that game before? Now, truth be told, that's, it's an okay game to play by yourself. It's a little awkward. You're driving along and, Virginia! There's no one in the car but you. People might look at you a little strange as they're passing you by. But if you play with other people, it's kind of fun. Or when I was a kid, my parents made my sister and myself not wake them up on Christmas morning before six o'clock a.m. Now, truth be told, I thought that was nearly illegal as a kid. I thought that's just not right. So I remember waking up in three and four in the morning and in order to pass the time, my sister and I would play Monopoly. <laughs> and it helped to pass the time. But that time would have been very difficult had it just been myself. How can you play Monopoly by yourself? You can't, right? So being together is helpful when it comes to waiting. In the book of 2 Peter, the apostle Peter addresses Christians who are waiting. And I want you to read along with me on the screen behind me as I share with you just a text I want to direct your attention to about what it means to wait together. Beginning in verse 11 of 2 Peter chapter three, it says this, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. What Peter does here is he links bigger realities to where people live right now. In fact, the little text that I read begins with a really important word. It's the word since. And he says, since all of these things are to be dissolved, what kind of people ought you to be? Now, for those of you who are Christians, you'll understand why Peter says this. Because to be a Christian means that there's particular truths that you've come to believe, and one of those is that there's a future day, a new kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth that Jesus is going to bring where? 
Sin will be no more. The devil won't tempt anyone. And everything we experience all day long for all of eternity will be peace and joy and at rest. And we will see our savior Jesus face to face and we'll be together. No more arguing, no more disagreement, no more division, no more wondering what do they mean by that? Like it'll all be glorious, it'll all be intimate, it'll all be loving. It's something that every Christian longs for. And what Peter says is, Since that's true, since Jesus is coming again, and since this kingdom is the kingdom that you're living for, then what kind of people ought you to be right now? Since. We do this in other ways. Um, And in fact, if you're not yet a Christian, this rationale makes sense. I'm gonna explain in a minute what it means to be a Christian, but just the fact that you live for a bigger reality, like we do that all the time in a lot of other spaces. For instance, I'm a dad, I have four kids. And when my kids were in my home, three of them have now launched and are married. We have one daughter that still lives with us. But from the very beginning of when those kids entered our world, into our home, I was training them and teaching them to get out of the house, right? Especially young men, right? I reminded them often, eventually it's gonna be your mom and me and we're gonna be really happy, you know what I mean? So we're like, we're trying to teach our kids, like you need to learn these skills and understand this because I have a vision of what I want you to be, and as a result, there's things that I do right now. So we connect our present life to bigger realities. If you're not yet a Christian, you do the same thing. Like you have a vision of what, the, what life is all about, and how you look at life affects how you live today. Like for instance, if you think, you know what, life is really just about having fun and enjoying things, and nothing really matters beyond this life, man, then you kind of agree with kind of the old sort of proverb or mindset is live, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we, what, die. Or if you think, you know what, there's really not a bigger story of what God's doing in the world, it's all about me and what I can get, you end up living very self-centeredly right now because if there's no future to look forward to or no accountability, then what in the world prevents you from just doing whatever you want to get whatever you want? So here's the story in the context of the Bible, and it's this. The Bible paints a picture that human beings are tragically lost. So if you're not yet a Christian, here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means that Christians believe, and the Bible teaches us, that every human being has sinned. We've done things that are wrong, both things that we should have done that we didn't do, and things that we have done that we know we weren't supposed to do. The Bible tells us that God is holy. He's so different than us. And the problem is is that our sinfulness and God's holiness creates a cosmic judgment, a scary judgment, a judgment where a holy God has to deal with sin. And God's remedy to that is to send the person of Jesus who lives a sinless life, dies on the cross to pay for sins. And here's the beautiful message, so that anybody who puts their trust in Christ, God takes Jesus' death and applies it to them He takes their sin and he gives it to Jesus. And that's why the scriptures talk about the fact that grace is amazing. It's completely undeserved. This is why Christians are supposed to forgive other people because of the way in which God has forgiven us. So a bigger reality affects how we live right now. So the message of Christmas is essentially that God is holy and we're not. That Jesus saves, he came into the world to rescue sinners and now, that Christ is my life. 
And I gotta believe there's some of you, not yet a Christian, who you're looking at your life and you, you kind of think, what, what's it all about? And maybe the last two years have been really traumatic and caused you to really confront that reality in your life. Like, what, what really matters? You know, Solomon wisely said one time, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. You know why? Because you learn more at funerals than you do parties. You go to a funeral, you hear things, you come home, and you're reflective of what the meaning of life is all about. It'd be awesome if you're not yet a Christian that on Christmas Eve, you'd cross the line, become a follower of Jesus. Let Jesus come and take control of your life while you're in this season of waiting. You may be here today and you're waiting on some pretty scary health news and God's kinda got your attention. You may be here and you're waiting on a job situation and you've never felt more stressed and you're like, what do, I, what do I do with this? You may be waiting for a phone call or some contact from a family member that you haven't talked to in years because of an estranged relationship and all of these things are maybe in one way or another just reminding you, look, I need help. Can I just tell you, Jesus entered into the world not only so that you could be helped but also so that you would never wait alone. Here's the thing, when Peter says, since all of these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? He then says, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, and according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. So if you're a Christian, there should be this dissatisfaction with this life a longing for Jesus to return, a longing for wrongs to be made right, a longing to wake up in a new world where there's no temptation and no conflict and no evil. Like that's what Christians are living for. That's what their, their goal and their life is all about and that affects how we live right now. And so here we are waiting and we're waiting together. And the beautiful hope of the gospel message, Christian, is this, that Jesus entered the world so that in your waiting, you wouldn't wait alone. He offers to you his presence. He says to his disciples when he leaves, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're a Christian, you may have felt alone in the last year, but can I remind you, that feeling is a feeling, and it's real, but the Bible promises you you're never alone. I can think of some really dark moments in my life where I felt like deeply, deeply alone. And in those moments, it's important for Christians to cling to the hope that no matter what happens, I'm never alone because Jesus entered the world. It also means that God has given us in the word special and important promises for us to cling to, promises for you to cling to, Christian, even tonight. Promises like this, God is for you and not against you. Promises like Jesus is going to return. Promises like in John 14 where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you to myself. The promise that for those who are in Christ, they're a new creation, the old, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So the whole reason Jesus comes into the world is so that while we wait, we could have hope. And can I also remind you that if that's true, which it is, then the way in which we help one another wait is connected to the way that Jesus has cared for us in our waiting. 
Which means this, you may be around some family members this season who are deeply waiting. Can I encourage you, be present with them. Here's a simple thing, put your phone down. (laughs) News, here's a new idea, talk to people. I remember being in uh, London, England several years ago, we came, my family, down to a, um, a station a platform, a commuter train, and it was a remarkable scene. There was probably 300 people, and it was absolutely silent. No one was talking to each other, and they were all on their phone. They were all together, but nobody was. You may be in this room feeling extremely alone, Can I encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to use that feeling to propel you, to invest in the lives of other people around you, to be present, to be the kind of person, secondly, who reminds fellow Christians of the promises that you have in the Bible, promises like if you were here when we studied the book of Isaiah, that God promises in Isaiah 41 that I am with you, I'm your God, I will help you, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. You know, sometimes we need people to remind us of things that we, we know. Sort of like when I say um, goodnight to one of my kids or tell them that I love them, I tell them not because they've forgotten, but because it's important to remind them over and over and over that I love them. And so can you just be reminded tonight, if you're a follower of Jesus, that Jesus entered into the world in order so that in our waiting, you're never gonna be alone. He's always with you. No matter what happens in this next year, you're never going to be alone. That's the promise. And Jesus bought that right by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And if you're here today, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, friend, why not? Think about the bigger realities that you're living for because all of us live for something. And the question is whether or not even that little word since in Second Peter could help you think about the trajectory of your life and maybe, just maybe, all of the circumstances of your life have aligned just right so that tonight you might have this thought. I think I need Jesus to take over my life and to forgive me of my sins. I know if that could be the story of your life, that's the story that changes your life. You see, when we wait, we often wait together. And because of the work of Jesus, we never wait alone, ever. The first advent, to the second, we wait, but never alone. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that because of your death, burial, and resurrection, there is hope. And in this season where we celebrate the coming called Christmas, called the incarnation, we pray that you would grant us hope in you. We pray that during this season we'd be reminded of precious promises given to us in the word, opportunities to trust in who you are, and that you grant us the grace to be reassured that we never, ever walk alone. We never wait alone. We never live alone. Because you came into the world to rescue people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.